This morning we're going to talk about the fruits or the works of Christians. And just to be uh, clear, we're not talking about any works that lead to salvation. There are no works that lead to salvation. It's a gift of God. But I'm talking about our daily uh, works uh, that we do in service to our Lord. Uh, in preparing for this lesson, uh, Paul Stagner texted me and asked me what I, what, uh, I wanted to put on um, the sign out front. And, you know, we, we, we settled with actions speak louder than words, but I want to read from my text. My original thought was, come hear our preacher. He's not very good, but he's quick. <laughs> so, Mitch is not here. So I'm talking about myself, okay? This will be quick. Um, but it's something that over the last uh, probably decade has at one time or another really uh, haunted me in my life and my personal walk with God because really for the last uh, decade or so, I've been really engrossed in my family life and my uh, professional life in raising uh, four children, being uh, the best husband I can, the best father I can, and being the best, I guess, um, provider for my family. And those are works that I know uh, God wants me to do, but sometimes the other more weightier matters of the law, I found myself not engaging in as much as I should. So really, this lesson is mainly for me, and maybe you'll get something out of it. But I want to talk about the works of a Christian. And first of all, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read uh, a passage in Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, in um, verse 8, starting in verse 8, Ephesians 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Did you know God created us, created you and me for good works? We're here to do good works here on this earth. That's why we were created, to honor God with our good works. And flip over to Titus chapter 2. Paul tells Titus an interesting thing. Titus 2, in verse, uh, starting in verse 13, looking for... The, 2 verses 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds or good works. We're a people that are, were created for good works and we're supposed to be zealous for good works. Zealous. Most of the time we think of zealous, in my mind, I go to Simon the Zealot in the Bible, or someone who is overwhelmed for a cause, 
do anything for that cause. Sometimes we think of the word zealot as in an evil sense, as a terrorist or in some uh, uh, manner. But in this case, we're asked and we're told to be zealous for good deeds. And in James chapter 1, the very famous book on works, James chapter 1, and starting in verse 22, James 1, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks on his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he, am, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man shall be blessed in what he does. And then uh, Ben read for us in John chapter 15 that what happens if we don't bear fruit? We're cut off from the vine. And it's interesting that Jesus not only talks to us, but he expects us to do good works in our lives. And that's daunting in my life, as I see what goes on every day in my life. Am I working for the kingdom, or am I working for myself? If I counted up all the works I did this weekend, was I working for God's purpose, or was I working for myself? And unfortunately, I find myself a lot of times working for myself and what pleases me and what makes my family happy instead of what makes God happy. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, three things that we can do in our lives as Christians. Because I found if I have more than three ideas, I get lost, the audience get lost, and I get confused. So we're going to talk about three works today. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 28. We all know this passage, Matthew 28. Twenty-eight, verse 18. Jesus speaking to his apostles. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always till the end of the age. So really the first one is simple. What's one thing we're required to do is evangelize. Our, our job on this earth is to spread the gospel. And who do we spread the gospel to? To Brad, to Jimmy, to Jillian. Brad, do you know what the gospel is? Jimmy, do you know what the gospel is? Yeah. In here, yeah, we're to maybe read the Bible and teach, but the gospel, the evangelism is out there. It's not in here. And it's funny how I read the Bible more and more. I find out 
where Jesus was. Yeah, he spent time in the temple. He spent time when he was younger in the temple. He spent time when he was older in the temple. But the majority of his ministry was in the area of Galilee for three years. Where was he? He was with people that wanted to listen to him. And a lot of times those people were poor, downtrodden, down on their luck. But it's always interesting. Those are the people that want to hear the message. Those are the people that are really hit rock bottom, and they're like, you know what? This ain't working in life. I need something else. And those are the people that I found in my life that are willing to listen. And that's where Jesus was. We talked about this morning in our class that Jesus hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. Really, what, what is that saying? He, he hung out with the scum of the earth, so to speak. That's where Jesus was, and that's where his message was. And I think one of the works we have to do is get out there to the, quote, scum of the earth, because that soul is loved just as much as our souls in here. And I think as we learn more and more, or as I learn more and more about what I need to do with my life, I find myself reaching more to the world than I reach to the church in my evangelism efforts. But also, the second thing we need to do is found in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and verse, uh, let's start in verse 23. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I think that's the second. Besides evangelism, we need edification. That's why we're here, to edify each other. We're all believers. We all love Jesus Christ. We all want to go to heaven. I'm 99% sure um, that, although I can't read your hearts, the reason you're here is because you want to be with the Lord one day. And that's why we're here, to edify each other, to sing praises to God, to pray to worship, to edify each other. And so that one one is down, we can lift them up. Or when one rejoices, we can rejoice with them. It's very important that we edify each other. And finally, I told you this is going to be a short lesson. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians uh, 4, let's read and start in verse 27. Ephesians 4 and verse 27. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share 
with him who has need. And the last one I want to talk about is benevolence. Benevolence means to give, you know, to be generous, to be giving. Doesn't mean have to be money. Doesn't have to be just time. It could be anything that you benevolently give to somebody. Both here, I think that applies to both the church, our local, and the world around us. And it's interesting that it's the hard thing to do when you give is to give without expecting in return. That is the hardest thing about giving. Because if you give someone your time, if you give someone your effort, if you give someone your finances, why do we always think we need to give something back? Okay? It's a gift. It's a gift. And I think part of benevolence is helping someone who's downtrodden, but if you're always expecting to get something back in return, then it's really not a gift. And sometimes in my life I find, wow, I was really nice to my wife this weekend. What's my next sentence? I wonder what's for dinner. Is it my special, is it my special meal? But that's what I think in my head, and that's wrong. It's a gift. And it's our job to be benevolent towards people that we are, uh, are worship with and to be benevolent towards others. And yes, yeah, sometimes it might not be a gift. It's a loan. It's to help someone out so they get back on their feet. And then that person wants to repay you. Well, sure, that's different. But the expectations aren't, uh, that I found shouldn't be there. The expectation is you're helping someone's soul. You're helping them in their life. And hopefully they'll help others in their lives. And so how can we do these three, three, these three things? Evangelisms, evangelism, edification, and benevolence. How do we be effective? And I think it first starts with faith. Faith is super important. Faith that you're going to be with the Lord one day. Faith that God is in control. And that when you're out evangelizing, when, when you're edifying in here or you're being benevolent, that your faith rests in God and not what you can do. You might have a wonderful talent. Your talent might be magnificent. But again, the faith is in God. God produces in his kingdom. We're just there as his workers. And secondly, I think we need to be joyful. Look at Philippians chapter 4, a very famous uh, passage about rejoicing and a rejoicing always. Philippians 4 in verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord again. Lord, Lord, sorry, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Are you happy that you're a Christian? I mean, are you really happy inside? Doesn't it make you feel good that you've been cleansed of the evil you've done in your life? Don't you feel what a wonderful feeling it is to have God on your side? It's an awesome feeling, and sometimes in our present world, we're very stoic. But really, we should be jumping over joy because God is our Savior. And the next one's hardest for me is prayer. I think this is the hardest 
thing in my life, and I'll tell you why. Of all the things I'm going to talk about, um, prayer to me is the hardest, and I'll tell you why. I can be thinking of some evil, awful things in my mind right now. And I could be reading God's word. Have you heard? Do you remember the story of the devil? Did he ever uh, quote scripture? Sure he did. But I'll tell you what's different. I can't go to my heavenly father in prayer and fake him out. I can't hoodoo the Lord Almighty when I talk to him, but I can sure do it to you. And although I'm not trying to, and my heart, I hope, is as pure as it can be, when you pray to the Almighty, he knows if you have evil in your heart. He knows what you're thinking about. And it's sobering to know that although we can fake each other out in our day-to-day lives, you can't do that to the Lord Almighty. And so remember that the next time you pray, the next time you get down on your knees, he already knows your heart. He already knows what you're thinking. Don't try to fake out the Lord. And then the other thing is, is, is love. And you know what I found since we've been here, attending here for the last few years, I've really thought, when the preacher's not here, you can talk about him, right? I thought Mitch was faking. I really did. Who can be that loving, caring, and that naive? Is anybody else with me? I thought he, when we went to the homeless, I might have told this story, I can't remember. We went out and we were, um, you know, Mitch never has a plan. We just, you just do things, right, you know? So we go out and he's like, the homeless I think are over here. So we're just going to go grab some pizzas and go talk to them and feed them. And, and it was great. So we get to Little Caesars. Um, I don't even know where we were. Little Caesars. And we uh, uh, buy all this pizza. And we have really nowhere to go. So literally, I think we had, I don't know who was, Vince, you were there. We had, I don't know, 40 pizzas. And we didn't have a place to go because it fell through or something would happen. So Mitch finds some people either in the parking lot or in Little Caesars and, and figures out where we need to go and says, jump in my car, take me there. That was the first. I said, this guy's crazy. But over and over again, I kept seeing, he didn't see, I don't remember what they looked like. I remember they were too probably homeless people, or they were down on their luck, and they said, I know where we can take some of this stuff. And that's how we found the sanctuary, which a lot of us have gone to several times. It's a, um, it's a homeless shelter that we've been able to, been, you know, blessed to go there. But that's how we found it. But I found that truly, he loves people, and he loves the Lord. And that started getting my wheels turning, thinking, when I look at people, am I looking at their soul, or am I looking at them, or am I smelling them, am I seeing something, or am I actually looking at their soul? And it's really helped me 
to real, real, really focus my life on whatever we do, we do unto the Lord, not unto ourselves. And so I think we need to have a love for the Lord and finally, a love for the brethren. Okay? And the brethren, <clears throat> we all know there's, there's many passages um, that we can turn to, but there are brethren that not only are what we call brethren that we associate also, they're also brethren that are lost. They are brethren that need our help spiritually. And I feel that we have to have a love for people that are not in a good relationship with God. And that's what it means, or at least that's what I take when it says love your enemies. <clears throat> love people because God loved them first. Don't look at people the way I have for most of my life. Look at people the way God sees people. God sees people as souls, precious souls. And that's why it says, and, and Peter writes, that the Lord is not slack about his promise, but is patiently waiting to all men for all men to repent. And I feel that if, if God is patient enough, couldn't my family be patient with people? Couldn't my family look to those that are lost and be that light on a, a, our beacon on a hill to try to bring them to the Lord? And the last thing is it takes persistence. It's not easy to always do the right thing. It's not always to, easy to do work, but God calls us to be persistent. You have any idea? Little ones, say it in your head. Don't raise your hand. The little ones. How long it took Noah to build the ark? Any idea? My calculations, could be wrong, was over 120 years. 120 years for a man to build a boat. Well, that took a little bit of persistence to build a boat for 120 years. What did Paul endure on all of his journeys? Slap on the wrist occasionally? No. Got beat, shipwrecked, stoned, stoned to death. They thought he was dead. Bit by a snake. Awful things that Paul endured, but it takes persistence. And you know what's the funniest thing in this that about persistence is I remember when I was in graduate school, my dad, I might have told, I don't know, sometimes when you get in your 40s, your memory starts going. Um, I had some troubles in uh, my research, and things weren't going well. And I went to my dad. Well, I first went to my mom, and my mom hugged me and loved me and said it was going to be okay, everything's great, life is good. And I went to my dad, and I said, you know, Dad, I have spent two years on this project, and I am just not making any headway. You got any advice? Try harder. <laughs> no, Dad, seriously, you got any advice? Try harder. And it stuck with me through the years. Sometimes persistence pays off. But in this case, as Christians, 
it doesn't matter the end result. God's not going to judge us on how many baptisms we're a part of. God's not going to judge us on how many accolades you get as a preacher. God's going to judge us on our effort. What did you do for me? Who gives the increase? God does. Paul watered, Apollos planted, or vice versa. It's our job, it's the effort we give in our life that God's going to judge us on. And lastly, as a church, as a group of, of, of believers in this, in this community, our group will be friendly if I am, if you are. Our group will do great work for the Lord if I work and you work. Our group will make generous gifts to many causes under the guidance of the eldership if I'm generous. And our group will bring others to Christ if I lead people to Christ and you lead people to Christ. And practically, what are some practical advices? What are things in your life you'd like to do better in your work and service to the Lord? <clears throat> and what are things that you really want to start doing? I want to ask you to do this. Try this this week. I'm not saying it's going to be earth-shattering. But when you're thinking about something spiritual, replace the word but with and. I'd really like to but say I'd really like to and I'll see you there. Try it. Take the word but out of your sentence and add and to it. Or try replacing I have to with I want to. Ray, good job. We're thinking alike, okay? I have to do this for God with I want to do this for God. And maybe the first time it's going to seem weird, the second time. But wouldn't it be nice is if in my family we all got in the car on Sunday morning and all the kids say, awesome, Dad, I want to go to church with you. Instead of, oh, it's Sunday morning, do we have to go to church? Try it and see what, you, see what happens in your life. But in all these things, it's sobering to think of, although speaking to the young, what the writer of Ecclesiastes says about all the works we do in this life. Let's turn over there in closing. In Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Verse, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1 reads, Remember also the Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. And two things I have to say about this. One is obvious. 
is if you remember God in your youth, it's going to be easier for, to live for God as you get older. And I'm somewhere in the middle. But I have a question for you. If you're a young person, are you thinking about God? Are you thinking about your Creator? And secondly, if you're older, has your heart hardened? Has your mind hardened in its pursuit of spiritual things? If so, I hope that you'll change your ways, whether you're young or whether you're old. And in verse 13 it reads, the, the writer finishes off the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person for God will bring every act or work to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or whether it is evil. I pray from this day forward that all, our, all of our works are good and to the service of our King. If you would open your songbooks to page 347, we're about to sing a song. Who will follow Jesus? Following Jesus ain't easy, as they say in the South. But it's the most important path you'll ever follow in your life. And our goal here in Franklin is to serve God the best we can. And we pray that all the works we do glorify God. And so if you're subject to the invitation, won't you come forward while we stand and sing?